0: Well, if you have a Bible this morning, let's open up to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Remember, if you have no idea where John is, that's okay. Feel free to use the table of contents. We're going to be in the New Testament, so you'll go halfway in your Bible and keep turning right. You'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We're going to be in John chapter 8, so look for the big number 8. And then we're going to start in verse 37 this morning. So look for the little number 37 to find your place there. And hope you'll leave your Bible open as we go through uh, this sermon this morning as we're just going to kind of reference and walk through this passage verse by verse. Remember, we are in the gospel account, which is how the Bible works. The Old Testament says someone's coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say someone's here right now. The whole rest of the New Testament says someone's coming again. And so as we're in John, John is saying someone's here right now. That someone is the Savior, the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus. And we see his life, his work, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. We get to see the person and work of Jesus Christ in this gospel account. And I hope as you I hope that you have enjoyed our time in John thus far, a really rich and dense book with a lot of application for us. And so this morning we're gonna look at John chapter 8, 37 to 59. You'll see the sermon titled A Tale of Two Fathers. Now back in the night back in 1980, a movie was released that included a single line that has endured for over 40 years. And this movie centered around a struggle between good and evil. And it happened to take place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, even though the entire movie looks like it's completely in the future. I don't know how that works, but that's what we hear. I'm, I'm talking, of course, about Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. And one one of the pivotal moments of that film, you know, you see Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, they're having this lightsaber duel in the heart of the Death Star on the the little gantry, the walkway that's out there. You know, and you see all the cool lightsabers and they're talking to one another. And what Vader ends up doing is he kind of corners him on the gantry and he ends up cutting off one of Luke's hands. And so Luke, has, he knows that he's got Luke cornered. And even then, he's trying, to bring, he, he's trying to bring Luke over to the dark side. And so what Vader says is, he says, there's no escape. Don't make me destroy you. You do not yet realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. Luke says, I will never join you. Later on, Vader says, if you only knew the power of the dark side. (laughs) Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. Luke says, he told me enough. It was you who killed him. And then the line, Vader says, no, I am your father. And you see Luke go, "No, that's impossible." You know, some people think that he says, "Luke, I'm your father." It's actually not true. He says, "No, I am your father." And you see Luke go, "There's no way that that's impossible. I'll never join you." And you think about that scene and how it's endured for so long because it's really the hinge point of the entire original Star Wars saga. Up until that point, there's been this kind of like mystery surrounding like who's Luke and what is his lineage. And all you really knew was that his father was dead and he had been raised by Uncle Owen on the moisture farm. Drinking the like weird blue milk stuff with the double sons. That's all you really know about Luke. You don't really know much about him. I'm sounding like such a nerd right now. (laughs) But... You see, in the movie, once Vader utters these words, no, I am your father, once Vader utters those words, the veil is lifted and it changes everything about how you see the movie moving forward. There's been this kind of mystery about Luke, like where's he coming from and what's the deal and why is everybody after him? And all of a sudden, as soon as Vader says, no, I'm your father, the whole, your whole reality shifts as the way you see the movie. It changes everything about who Luke actually is. And you're thinking, what in the world does that have to do with the Gospel of John? I'm glad you asked. When we think about the past few weeks, we've been studying a dialogue that Jesus had with the Pharisees around the time of the Feast of Tabernacles in the midst of the temple in Jerusalem. This is a big deal. This was one of the big required feasts that people were required to come and do. And it was this great kind of end of end of the season kind of feast. And we've looked at that the past few weeks and... The thing that we see with this conflict that exists between Jesus and the Pharisees is the Pharisees placed a huge emphasis on their physical lineage to Father Abraham. Okay? They said, well, we're kind of blood-related to Abraham. That matters. They placed a huge emphasis on this. They thought it acted like a big get-out-of-jail-free card in Monopoly, That this physical birthright is the thing that gave them right standing with God. Justification is the word that we're talking about theologically. What makes us right, what declares us righteous with the holy God. They thought that it was their physical lineage. This was the thing that made them right with the holy God. But Jesus told them that their physical lineage meant nothing. They had to be born again from above, that their spiritual lineage mattered all the more. As you can imagine, they didn't like that. So you see this tension that is continuing to exist. He pointed out that they were still enslaved to sin and that their souls were in peril. We looked at that last week when we talked about the idea of what true freedom is. And basically what Jesus is pointing out is that they had all the exterior trappings of religion, but their hearts were still dark, their hearts were still hard, their hearts were still enslaved to sin. And you think, why in the world should we care about this today? Okay, why this seems like just, just a, a little squabble between Jesus and some other people. Why should we care about what's going on in this text this morning? Again, I'm glad you asked. You think about the region and the town in which we live. In a region and a town that is obsessed with birthplace and family lineage as what gives you quote-unquote right standing in the community, we all know it's true. As an outsider coming in who is not born here, Many of you have also moved in from the outside in this town that is absolutely obsessed with your family name and your lineage, and that is the thing that makes you right and gives you entrance into this community. We think about many have also imported that view into what constitutes right standing with God. That Suddenly it's your family name and where you come from and the fact that your mom and your dad or your grandma and your grandpa were Christians, and so because that's true, you automatically get in. And so this has such relevance for us today, especially down in the South. It's one of the big questions that we ask is what? Who are your people? Where do you come from? What's your lineage? It matters. But here's what J.C. Ryle said about this passage. He lived in the late 1800s. He said, There are things taught in this passage of Scripture which are peculiarly true for the times. Well would it be for the churches if all Christians would ponder carefully the matter which it contains. Pretty strong statement. What we see here is Jesus drawing a sharp contrast in front of the crowd of religious folks, and he's asking them to think about their true lineage. Basically what he does is he lifts the veil and he reveals their hearts. In our passage today, Jesus links action with spiritual lineage, and this is important. He says, basically, what you are doing now reveals your heart. It's a classic, you will know the tree by its fruit kind of scenario. And I want you to see if you can pick up on this as we read. Okay, so with all that in our mind, remember the tension, the conflict that's going on, this idea of lineage, physical lineage versus spiritual lineage, and how that leads you to, how that flows out of your heart into your actions. Let's look at the the scripture this morning. Luke, or excuse me, John chapter 8 starting in verse 37. I already said Luke before, not Star Wars. All right, let's look at verse 37. That was a joke. Nobody got it. (laughs) I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray as we ask the Holy Spirit's help. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. And we come to it with great expectation. Lord, we're thankful that you have the words of life. And Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, take this word, apply it to our hearts, and change us just in some small way as you see fit. And Lord, help us to remember the beauty and power of the gospel in our own lives and all that you have done. These things we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, so we look at this expansive text. There's a lot of ground to cover this morning, and as we consider this text, I just want to consider the contrast that's in front of us, um, because that's kind of what this text kind of functions like as a tale of two fathers, which is our sermon title, and it shows both the motivations and goals of each. And so we're going to look basically at this contrast. The first point that we're going to see, two points, we're going to see the father of lies and the father of grace. Okay, so first point, the father of lies, as we're just looking at the, context, at the contrast. Remember way back in chapter 5, verse 18, after the healing of the man at the pool, we're told for the first time that the Jewish leaders were actively trying to kill Jesus for claiming to be the Son of God. And that tension still exists. And Jesus never backs down from this assertion because it's 100% true. He says, I can't deny where I came from. And he also quadruples down as he just quadruples down on this time and time again. Where he says, "Nope, I'm the Son of God. They said, you are a blasphemer for claiming that. He says, well, it's true. I'm the Son of God. And as he quadruples down on this, their hatred and rage only builds. And remember, all of this is leading to the cross. All of this conflict and tension, and it's all heading towards the cross at this moment. Look at verse 37. Let's reread that. It says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Jesus acknowledges their physical ancestry, Father Abraham, but says that their actions actually point to their true spiritual father. says, you might be blood descendant from Abraham, but at the heart level, it shows that you have another father that is ruling and reigning over you. And remember the promised enmity and warfare between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, all the way back in Genesis 3.15. The rest of the Bible is an outworking of that verse, and we see that on full display here. The strife between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Genesis 3.15, seed theology, the whole rest of the Bible is an outworking of this verse. Look at verses 39 and 40. Let's reread those. And they answered him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Again, the crowd reasserts that they are Abraham's descendants, but Jesus provides proof that they're not because they are so bent on killing him and lying and destruction. And you think about what happened in the life of Abraham. He's saying, you know, if you were a, a, if you were really of Abraham, you would be doing what Abraham did. And think about what Abraham did. Back in Genesis 12, God commanded Abraham to go, and he obeyed in faith. In Genesis 22, God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, and he obeyed. Thankfully, God called it off and provided a ram instead, provided a substitute who would die in Isaac's place. Does that ring a bell? So think in Genesis 15, God made covenant promises to Abraham, and Abraham trusted God by faith, and we're told that it was credited to him as righteousness. It was, he was reckoned, he was justified before the Lord by faith. And also, Abraham did not seek to kill the messengers from God who came to him in Genesis 18. He actually showed them hospitality. So you see this life of Abraham, one lived by faith and with hospitality and graciousness under the covenant promises of God. And you see the contrast here between uh, them and what the Pharisees are doing. The Pharisees reject Jesus' words. They reject him as the Son of God. And in doing so, they also reject the Father who sent him. He says that in verse 42. If you looked in verse 41, the, these, the Pharisees even take a sarcastic jab at Jesus' virgin birth, which had been prophesied by Isaiah hundreds of years before. And if you think about that had actually come true in their lifetime. You think of this promise, this one who's going to come in Isaiah. There's this one who's going to come. And he's going to be born of a virgin. And it actually happened. And even there, as Jesus is saying, I'm that guy, they still are taking jabs at him. So even as they claim Abraham, they prove that they are not spiritually descended from him. They, they prove that they're not from the seed of the woman. Because they are taking their cues from another father, Satan. Verse 43 is the absolute dagger in this passage. Look at verse 43. It says, Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Think again and remember who Jesus is speaking to. These are the religious folks. And the ESV translators, I have, I'm have. i reading out of the ESV, and you may have a different version, that's okay. The ESV translators added the little words, bear to, but they're not in the Greek. So in verse 43, it says, you cannot bear to hear my word. And actually what Jesus said in the Greek is, you cannot hear my word. The Greek word dunamai there shows inability. You are actually unable to hear my word. You cannot hear my word. Remember, these were men who prided themselves on being the keepers of God's law. And now Jesus calls them deaf to the words of God the Father, blind to His Son, devoid of any signs of the Spirit at work in their hearts because they are still in bondage to sin. Think about what He's doing. You don't think that that even built even more tension upon the tension that was already there? Jesus never backs down. And on the outside, these Pharisees, they look very spiritual. But Jesus sees their hearts, and he knows that underneath it all, they are actually spiritually dead, and their hearts are hard. And you ask the question, well, why can't they see or hear? Why can't they do that? Look at verse 44. Their hearts are held still held captive to Satan. Look at verse 44. It says, "...you are of your father the devil." And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. And When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 reminds us, says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Same Greek word. The heart that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Look at verse 48. Instead of repentance, instead of saying, oh, instead of realizing, okay, we are talking to Christ and He knows our hearts and He has identified, He's put His finger on on where we really are. Instead of responding with repentance and with sackcloth and ashes, and oh, we have sinned against you. Instead of doing that, look at what they do in verse 48. Instead of repentance, they respond with more anger and insults. They, they claim that Jesus was born out of wedlock. They label, they label him a Samaritan, which in their eyes was an unclean half-breed. And they also claim that he's demon-possessed. Do you imagine looking at Jesus, who's done all of these signs and wonders in their midst? And he's saying, you're demon-possessed. It's amazing when you think about what these Pharisees are saying and claiming that, oh, well, you're a half-breed and you're unclean. Here's what J.C. Ryle again said. He said, To lose temper and call names is a common sign of a defeated cause. Nicknames, insulting epithets, and violent language are favorite weapons with the devil. When other means of carrying on his warfare fail, he stirs up his servants to smite with the tongue. Grievous indeed are the sufferings which the saints of God have had to endure from the tongue in every age. And you think, again, why should we care about this scene? Why should we care about what's going on? It's so easy just to label this of, isn't this just an ancient squabble between Jesus and the Pharisees? This has no bearing on my life whatsoever. Why should I care? Here's what Scotty Smith said. He said, true freedom can be found only in the right paternity. Not everyone who claims Abraham as their father has God as their father, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Romans chapter 9, verse 6. No one can claim God as their father who won't have his son as their savior. What this reminds us of in that Romans chapter 9, verse 6, not all who claim to be from Israel actually are from Israel. What this reminds us of is the doctrine of the visible and the invisible church. The church is a mixed bag. Not everyone in the pews on Sunday is an actual born-again believer. Not everyone in this room is united to the same Father. That is why we make an evangelistic appeal. That's why we're constantly sharing the gospel from up here. Not just me, but even the guys that we bring in to help uh, when I'm away. They They are calling you to repentance and to consider Jesus. And the questions that we all need to ask this morning as we consider this text... Is do you have a genuine love for God the Father and his son Jesus Christ this morning? Do you have a genuine love for God the Father and his son this morning? Or are you just punching your punching the clock? Do you scorn him or do you submit to him as king? Which father are you truly re- united to this morning as you examine your life? Who is your father? It's not the posture of your body that matters, it's the posture of your heart. It's what's going on here inside. Do you trust Christ by faith alone this morning? Or are you still relying on your own religious pedigree and lineage as the thing that makes you right before a holy God? We've said before, Jesus does not have grandchildren, just first children. The very fact that your grandmama or your mama is a Christian does not automatically make you one. Do you have a genuine love for Christ this morning? Are you united to Christ? Are you united to your spiritual Father? You see, what Jesus is doing here is he's cranking on the self-righteousness of the Pharisees, and I think even our own self-righteousness. And the gathered crowd, he's just cranking on them. But in the midst of this squabble, you may have missed the gracious promise in verse 51 right on the heels of the Pharisees' slanderous blasphemy and Jesus' warning against the coming judgment, Jesus still holds out an offer of salvation, reconciliation, and eternal life. Look at verse 51. Right in the midst of all this, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What a promise. What a promise there. And so we see against the backdrop of the father of lies, as Jesus is just cranking on you know, self-righteousness of the Pharisees, there's also this other father that comes into the picture. And that's the father of grace. That's our second point. Simply put, what Jesus is doing is he is calling them out of their sin. He's calling them out of their false hope and their physical lineage and into the freedom he mentioned in verse 32 that are, that's grounded in the promises of his word. He's calling them out of a life of sin and death, lived under the deceitful reign of the father of lies, and into a life of freedom, lived under the father of grace who sent his son to rescue them and die in his place. That's the call today. God's at work. He's at work in the hearts of people. And Jesus is calling them and us out of a life of fruitless self-salvation and bare legalism into a life of grace and security. What Jesus is offering is not more of a treadmill. He's offering rest. He says, get off the treadmill trying to save yourself and rest in me, rest in who I am. I am from the Father. Satan is very happy to see us all relying on ourselves for salvation because he knows that we're ultimately going to fail. We're going to run out of resources and strength on our own. And he also knows that we're foolish, we're going to fool ourselves into thinking that we're safe because of what we do. Again, Scotty Smith, here's what he said. If our spiritual genealogy includes only our earthly heritage, as true of the children of Abraham in this passage, he says, we may be religious, but we are still spiritual orphans. True spiritual heritage requires a connection to the one who existed long before Abraham. Namely, Jesus, before Abraham was, I am. Only through the gospel can we be reconciled, can we be rescued from the dominion of darkness where Satan is father, and be brought into the family of God, where we are given the full rights and delights of the children of God. And you think about this hope that Jesus is offering here. And even that is still met with scorn and stones. Look at verse 53 and verse 56. He says, "Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died?" Who do you make yourself out to be? They're basically saying, who do you think you are saying this? And look at how they respond in verse 56. It's amazing. Or excuse me, verse 59, where he says, And they picked up stones to throw at him. When you think about what Jesus is saying here, and even in the midst of it, you can imagine people in their like, religious garb going and picking up stones and wanting to start throwing stones and kill Jesus. It's amazing when we think about that. Why are these words met with such scorn and met with stones? Because they were hardwired for earning and proving themselves. And we are too. We are hardwired for proving. We've been talking about this in our Galatians study. That we come hardwired for earning and hardwired for proving. And the gospel doesn't work like that. And that's good news. Because we can't earn it. I can't earn it and neither can you. We say the gospel is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. We don't bring our righteousness and our good deeds and our works to Jesus, and we say, look at how great I am. You, should bring, you Aren't you lucky to have me on your team? Every hymn and everything that we have sung to up until this point says that's false. That's not how the gospel works. You may have grown up hearing that, that you need to constantly go and prove yourself so that the Father might one day accept you. That the Father might one day find you finally, that you finally ticked all the boxes on the checklist, and now I'm going to love you. That's not how the gospel works. We love because He first loved us. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. It takes every, the whole way that you think about how Jesus and religion and spirituality and Christianity, it takes the whole way that you think it works and flips it on its head. That's good news. It is for me. When we think about all of this, we are so prone to point to something that we did or something that we possess instead of resting in Christ. We're so prone to do that. But Jesus used the very thing they rested their hope upon, Abraham, to point them to himself. He's pointing the Pharisees to himself. And think about it, he's pointing them to the one that they are actively seeking to try to destroy. Jesus is telling them that Abraham understood the promises of of Genesis 3.15, that a Redeemer would come and that Redeemer would be born of a woman and would crush the head of the serpent and he trusted that promise by faith. Abraham did. God told Abraham that that this Redeemer would come through the family that God made a covenant promise to provide and bless all of the families of the earth through. And Abraham believed God by faith. Think, Abraham, he, God comes to Abraham, this covenant that God made with Abraham, and said, I'm going to make you the father of a, of a multitude of nations. A family so big you cannot even fathom it. The best way even is go outside and look at the stars. Even that's just like a little bit. And Abraham believed God. This is, uh, God, this seems too good to be true. But I'm going to believe you. And he changed his name, right? From Abram, father, to Abraham. Abraham, father of many, father of nations. This covenant that God made with Abraham, and Abraham says, yes, Lord, I believe. But but think about that promise that God made, and then just shortly thereafter, this faith was tested when Abraham was was asked to sacrifice his one and only son, the child of promise, Isaac. God says, go, lay that son down. Think about, but God, you promised. But then God provides a way, doesn't he? Through the death of another. Sound familiar? Abraham looked forward to the promised day of Christ's advent, his first coming with great joy. He was called to look and to live. It says Abraham saw that day. Verse 56 your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Why? Because God always keeps his word. Always. God's always faithful. He's always faithful. God the Father promised to send His one and only Son to lay down His life for His enemies. That's us. And He did it. He actually did it. More amazingly, Jesus went willing. He went willingly. God God the Father said, I'm going to send my Son to die in the place of my enemies so that those enemies could be brought into my family. And Jesus willingly went and did that for you and for me. It's amazing when you think about it. God the Father promised to bless all nations, tribes, and tongues through His Son. He's still doing it. Think about all the work that God is doing around the world. All nations, tribes, and tongues. His people being gathered from every corner of the globe. God is still at work doing this. And we rest in that. God the Father. The Father of grace that we're looking to. I'm almost done. Hang with me promised to do whatever was necessary to seek and to save and to secure his children from the wicked reign of the father of lies so that they could be brought into his loving family forever. If you are here and you trust Christ, you have a new family. You have a new father. You might hear that word, and based on your past, you hear that word, Father, and you hate that word. There is a true and better Father who loves you. God the Father, who created all things and sent his Son to die for you. Changes everything because we have a true and living Father who watches over us forever. It's finished. So we don't look to anything other than Christ for salvation. We look to Him and Him alone. And so we think about, why does this matter? Why does it matter which father that we're linked to? For those who trust Christ, if that's you this morning, when you hear the words, I am your father, it causes rejoicing. Because we still look and we long to see This other great day of Jesus. His second coming. We rest in the fact that His first coming has already happened. As Abraham looked forward, as the Old Testament saints did, this one is coming. Remember Old Testament? Somebody's coming. They looked towards that day. They looked and they lived and they put their faith in that day and it actually happened in real space and time. So if that has already happened, why in the world would we doubt When Jesus says, I'm coming again, there's going to be the second advent. We look towards that great day with great hope. And we rest and we ground our hopes and we clip ourselves to that. And we say, come Lord Jesus. So we hear, I am your father. We don't recoil as Luke did when he heard it from Vader. We say, yes, yes, you are my father. The amazing thing is, is when you actually think about what we bring to the table, that actually should be impossible. But He's made a way through His Son so that we could be brought near. We look forward to that day. We are glad regardless of current circumstances. Regardless of how your life may look. In the midst of sickness and death and pain and struggle is still true. He's still our Father. Regardless of the circumstances, there is a hope that is laid out for us in Christ and we know that day is fixed. Fixed. Think about the hope that that brings in the midst of struggle and cancer and sickness and death and strife. That day is fixed in the mind of God, and there's nothing you can do to change it. And we lean into that promise and say, yes, Father, thank you for making a way. And you know what we say as a church? Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Please come. And we look to it with great hope. Hope. I don't fear the day of the Lord because I'm safe in Christ. Is that your hope today? Are you secure in that family? Are you united to God the Father through His Son Jesus Christ and the testimony of the Holy Spirit? Is that your hope today? If it is, I've got good news. If not, I would urge you, urge you, to flee from your self-salvation project and put your faith and trust in Christ and be brought into the family under the loving care of the Father of grace who calls you away from trying to do it all yourself and to rest in Him. It's the best news ever. It's the reason to get up in the morning. Amen? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your mercy and Your kindness. Thank You, Father, that we who are united to you by faith. You have made the way for us. It's not anything that we've done. We didn't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't make ourselves believe it. And we are thankful that you have moved towards us in grace and mercy. And that you have called us and you have regenerated us and you have brought us and adopted us into your family. And now because of that and because of Christ and because of your unfailing promises... We rest safe and secure in you forever. What a hope. What a hope. We're grateful for the work of Jesus Christ as he beat back the father of death and sin. He beat back the father of lies. And we now hold your word, your truth. We now hold it in our hands. And as we look to the future promise of your return, we lean into that promise knowing that you've been faithful thus far. And you will always remain faithful And so, Lord, we humbly ask and pray, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Bring us and usher us into your heavenly home and watch over us. But even while you tarry, remind us of your love and grace. You truly are the Father of grace and love. So, Lord, we ask and pray all these things in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.